Well, please turn in God's Word once again to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're glad to have you here. We've been considering a series through 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and we've come to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we, these verses sound familiar. We went through them last time I was preaching, so... Uh, They should sound familiar. Uh, We want to come back to this passage, which is uh, filled with sort of confusing things so that we might try to see uh, what we find there. So we're going to come at it once again from a little bit different perspective, but we want to remind ourselves of what we find here. So we're going to read together 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and let's pay careful attention for this is God's own word. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed." the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved." Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order, that they may, they all, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Well, I said we want to look at this from a little bit different perspective this time than we did last time. Uh, the perspective that we want to come to as we come to This text today is to think about the particulars and how the particulars relate to us now. Uh, Last time we tried to look at sort of the grand sweep of history uh, that we thought about in this text, uh, the rising tide of lawlessness that will reach full expression in widespread rebellion and the man of lawlessness arising in the church, Uh, this event that will culminate in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the end of evil and unrighteousness once and for all, that this is the grand sweep of history to which all things are moving. Um, But as we think about that, we have to recognize that as Christians, we don't live in the grand sweep of history. Uh, We live in individual moments. Uh, We live in particular times. And even though it's good for us to know and listen to what the Bible says is happening in the grand sweep of history, the question that comes for us is, how are we to live today? In light of all of these things, how do we live today in this particular moment in time? And how does where things are going affect that reality? 
Maybe we can think of Peter, the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3, putting the question to us after talking about the passing away of the heavens and the earth that's coming and the new heavens and the earth that will come. He presents this important question, knowing that all these things will happen, what sort of people ought you to be? Uh, That thinking where the grand sweep of history goes does make us focus on our particular time and place and say, given all of these things, what should we be doing now? How does this affect me today? Um, And I think it's this question that we want to consider as we think about what the Apostle Paul says in these verses, Um, to think think of them as if Paul were asking us a similar question, since all these things are going to take place. What sort of people ought you to be today? Um, An important question for us to think about. And I think the, despite all the particulars that are confusing in this passage or potentially confusing in this passage, the answer to that question is actually very simple. Who are we to be? We are to be a people who are not deceived by the lie, but who stand firm in the truth of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of people we are to be today, a people who are not deceived by the lie, but stand firm in the truth of Jesus Christ. And to do that, we really need to understand three things. We need to really understand the current situation in light of the coming crisis and the fact of the certain judgment that is going to come. That is how we need to live today, Uh, with the knowledge of the current situation, the coming crisis and the certain judgment. How are we to live today? Well, we have to understand the current situation. And the current situation is spelled out very clearly for us in the beginning of verse 7. What is the current situation? The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Uh, That's what we need to know is going on today. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Um, And you might say, how is that helpful if it's a mystery? Um, well, it's helpful, we can be helped because we understand the implications of that mystery from the text. How has the mystery of lawlessness shown itself to be at work? It's shown itself to be at work in this way, in the work of false teachers. False teachers who come and contradict the truth of Jesus Christ. False teachers who come and say things that are not true. Claiming to have a kind of authority but really is a false word that is not from God. And the particular falsehood that has been troubling the Thessalonian church is this idea that Jesus has already returned. The day of the Lord has already come and there's nothing to look forward to. Um, But what this passage is reminding us is that is one of the consequences of the mystery of lawlessness being at work in the world, that false teachers arise to tell God's people things that are not true. Uh, that come even claiming a kind of authority, um, but really working and wreaking havoc in the church. And the church in every age has faced this problem. Um, The church in every age understands that the mystery of lawlessness is at work. There are going to be false teachers who claim to have authority from God teaching things that are wrong. Um, And this is on account of that mystery of lawlessness that's already at work in the world. Um, the Apostle John warned about the same thing in 1 John two eighteen and 22. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, 
Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Right, so even, even before this man of lawlessness, this kind of end times lawlessness, this height of evil is realized, the mystery of lawlessness as it is at work, and it produces all kinds of false teachers. Some who come and say, Jesus has already come. Some who come and say, Jesus is not the Christ. Um, it manifests itself in all sorts of ways, all sorts of false teaching that God's people have to be on their guard against. And how is this lawlessness that produces false teaching, how is it to be responded to by the church in every age? How does the church respond to this reality in which we live? By always countering these kinds of teachings with the true teachings of Christ. The revelation of God's word, which is true and reliable and certain to whatever false teaching rises up against the truth of God, to always respond with the truth of God, to come back with the Word of God. And that's the relatively simple formula that Paul gives the church to follow in verses 5 through 7. Do not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains it will do so till he is out of the way. Um, How does Paul respond to this false teaching, to the mystery of lawlessness and the trouble it's trying to work in the church? His response is very simple. Remember what we taught you. Right? In a sense, he's saying, we covered this. Um, And that's something we always need to say to one another as Christians. Right? We don't just preach something once and we know it for all time. We return to the same truths over and over again. We, we continue this apostolic pattern of saying, I, I told you and I'm telling you again. I told you and I've reminded you. Um, you know, sometimes when you talk to other pastors, they'll, they'll be talking to someone who will say after a sermon, you know, well, I never, I never saw it that way before. <clears throat> no one's ever said something like that. And the other pa- pastor will say, I've said that. You've heard me say that, and you didn't hear it from me. Um, Well, that that happens because we are a people that can be slow of hearing, or we need it to be said to us a number of different times before it maybe makes the impact on us at that particular moment in life. And that really is the work of the church in every age. As these different lies come and go, to continue to go back and say, well, we were told about this. This was explained to us. We worked on this once before. And that's true and clear, even if everything else that Paul says in verses 5 through 7 is completely unclear and impenetrable to us. Right? He says, we've talked about all of these things before. I told you that the day of the Lord will not come until the rebellion and the revelation of the man of lawlessness... I told you the man of lawlessness cannot come as long as he's being restrained. He's currently being restrained, as you know. Therefore, he has not yet appeared. And therefore, Jesus has not yet returned. And the day of the Lord has not yet come. Um, All these things that are confusing to us, Paul is saying we covered all of this to the Thessalonian church. 
Now, see, the message is simple, even though the particulars for us are clouded in mystery. Um, Even though almost each one of these particulars poses a really big problem for us to explain well. Um, But I think we need to start with that idea that Paul is saying to them, I already explained all these things to you. I'm just covering what you already know. Uh, But for us, these things are difficult, and we would like Paul to say more. Um, we would like to say, well, Paul, you told them, but would you mind telling us? Because it seems unclear to me. Um, who is the man of lawlessness? Um, well, we don't really know. Uh, who, who or what is restraining him? Uh, well, we're not really told. Um, the way Paul talks, it could be kind of personal or impersonal. It could be something restraining him, or it could be someone restraining him. Um, it has been revealed to them but it's not been revealed to us. Um, And when that happens in Scripture, that's usually because they needed to know in some way that we don't need to know. Um, There are things that were spoken by the apostles that were for all the churches, and there were things that were spoken by the apostles that were only for particular churches. Uh, We know that there was another letter written to the Corinthians that we don't have. Uh, We don't have it because that was a letter for the Corinthians. The other two letters that we do have were for the Corinthians and for the whole church. Um, And this is one of those moments where we wish that Paul had said to us what he said to them, Uh, but the important thing that we can think here is that they knew clearly what he was saying, and the whole thrust of what he was saying was to say, don't let someone confuse you and say that Jesus has already come. He hasn't already come because we talked about what would need to happen when he comes. There is a restraining force at work that is keeping him from coming. And if we find that confusing, we're in good company. Uh, Augustine, writing in The City of God, said, I admit that the meaning of this completely escapes me. Um, And most of us are not Augustine. Uh, You can write that down in your notes. Uh, So these things, if they completely escape him, we shouldn't be surprised that it may escape us us what is restraining him. Uh, My best guess, I think our best guess can be it's an angelic power like the power that is restraining the devil in Revelation 20. Uh, The restraining hand of God not allowing the the evil to come to its pinnacle in this world until the time of his appointment. Um, It has to be something that is at work now but can be removed. Um, Something that's at work now and will fail. So that's why I think it can't be the Holy Spirit or the preaching of the gospel because these are things that will always be at work in the world. Um, It's something that prevents the work of Satan in this regard until the Lord's appointed time. Uh, But notice again that the main thrust of what Paul is doing for them. To understand the current situation in which they live, he calls them back to what they've already been taught. To the things they had clearly heard from God's ministers and God's word. And this is the main thing. We don't want to bury the lead in all of these details that are hard for us to figure out. We want to recognize the main truth that's being communicated when we live in confusing times, when false teachers arise, what are God's people to do? They're to return to the clear teaching of Christ as it's revealed in the scripture. This is how false teachers are exposed. This is how the church of God stands firm in the truth. Um, That's why the church of God at its best 
Uh, and my father, as a church historian, will always say we're not always at our best. But the church of Jesus at its best is a church that looks to God's word alone for what we believe, for how we live, and for how we worship. We look to God's word alone to inform us about doctrine, life, and worship. We look to God's word in a way that does not allow it to be co-opted by false teachers or other teachings. God's word has to be the central thing on which we rely, and we don't let anything else to co-opt it, to supplant it, to divert us from what it teaches us. We can't let anything be attached to the word of God and rely on that because it will inevitably shove us the wrong direction. If we try to ally the word of God to a political person or a political movement or a cultural agenda or a social agenda or anything else in this world, it'll say we can walk side by side together. Um, But eventually it'll start shoving. It'll start elbowing the church and moving in on the church and saying, let's go this way. And the church has to say, no, we have to walk without turning to the right or to the left the way God wants us to walk, the way God has commanded us in His Word. It's God's Word and God's Word alone that will help us to cut through false teaching so that we can stand firm in the truth and not be led astray by the lies of the devil. And the church has to be grounded there so that when the coming crisis arrives, we will know how to deal with it. Isn't it always the case that doctrine is difficult for us to learn in the middle of the crisis? If you've ever had the the difficulty of trying to explain the providence of God, the sovereignty of God to someone who's in the midst of suffering, that can be very difficult. Um, That's why it's so helpful for us to have a right idea of sovereignty and providence before suffering comes so we can say we were prepared for this. Uh, To be forewarned can be to be forearmed against what's coming. And that's essentially what Paul is doing. The mystery of lawlessness is at work. It's manifesting itself in false teaching. You know how you have to respond to this false teaching so that when the coming crisis that is coming blooms and it affects the church, you can still be centered and know what you have to do. Um, This is the part of the warning that comes to the future generation that will have to live as the church in the midst of this crisis. And even though the Paul is saying to the Thessalonian church, you are not there yet, and indeed it does not seem like the church in our day has reached that point yet, we know that the time is coming and that some generation of the church will face this evil that comes into the world. And the church at that moment will need to understand what is happening. We'll need to understand what is happening and we'll need to remember what they need to do. Which is stay with the word of God. Stay with what God has taught. And to not be led astray by false teaching. Because the man of lawlessness, when he comes, what is that crisis going to look like? It really is... He's going to come and perpetuate a sort of evil mockery and parody of what Jesus did in the world. Think of how in many ways what is described of the man of lawlessness in this text is really a parroting in an evil way of what Jesus did when he came into the world. Right? The father glorified his son, Jesus, with a glory that is true and proper. 
What will happen when the man of lawlessness comes? He will glorify himself with a glory that is improper and false. He opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. Right? Jesus came to the world and the Father said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Uh, Antichrist comes to the world glorifying himself. It was the Father who brought His Son into the world by the work of the Holy Spirit. The man of lawlessness comes into the world by the activity of Satan, we read in verse 9. Jesus performed works of power, signs, and wonders given Him by the Father to testify that He was truly the Son of God. The Antichrist comes to perform works of power, signs, and wonders as wicked deceptions, seeming to prove that his lies are true, but leading people astray. Not leading them into truth, but into falsehood. Jesus came to teach the truth of his Father. Uh, The man of lawlessness will come and sit in the temple and claim to be God and the lawgiver, but his laws will ultimately undermine and contradict God's law so that people will be deceived and follow his poisonous lies. And the sad reality is that many will be led astray. That the truth will be subverted by this lying power. And those who are perishing will be led astray to their own destruction. Knowing this crisis is coming, what kind of people should we be? How should we be forearmed against that day should it come in our day? We have to stand firm in the truth of Jesus Christ. We have to know God's word, we have to cling to God's word, and we have to cling to God's word no matter what comes. Just as Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, it doesn't matter what we hear or who it comes from, even if it comes from an angel, don't believe it if it contradicts the truth of Jesus Christ. If it's a false gospel or a false law or contradicts anything that's taught in God's word, it is to be rejected. In that crisis, we are to stand firm in the word of Jesus Christ. And we are to look for Christ's deliverance should that evil day come. Um, It's a terrible thing to think about, isn't it? To think about this day of lawlessness that's coming and the, the, the great widespread rebellion, the false teaching, the perishing that we read about here. But then again, we also have to remember that when this great evil is revealed... It comes as a precursor to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so the crisis of that situation that's coming is is awful, and we need to be armed against that day. But we also need to remember the certain judgment that will come right on the heels of it. That this worldwide crisis gives gives way to worldwide salvation. When When the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven, And so this is not a call to be despairing about this coming crisis. Um, What are God's people to do in that day? Well, think about what we read in Luke 21, 28. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. There is a corresponding destruction to evil that will come when evil reaches this pinnacle. And it is only right that it would happen 
Because if someone would rise up and claim to be God and, and do things in a mockery and a parody of the Lord Jesus Christ, even isn't it only right in God's judgment that Christ would be revealed from heaven and say, let's match your parody to this reality. Let's see if you are God. Let's see if you are powerful when I come. Let's see if you deserve to sit in the temple. Let's see if your works can stand up to my works. And he who pretends to be God will see what it is to meet God. And he who pretends to have power will see what it is to meet the Lord of hosts. And on that day he will fulfill what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 11.4. That he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. That's what Paul's alluding to in verse 8. And when the, then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. That judgment is certain. It's certain not only for this deceiver, but it's also certain for all those who have been deceived. Um, and that's worth listening to. We must listen to that as well. Who also does this judgment come against? It comes against those who are perishing. The righteous have been saved. They're safe in the grasp of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is not coming against them. He's coming to save them. And no one can snatch us out of his hand. But there are those who reject the truth of the gospel. And they are unprotected in that day of his coming. And who are those who are perishing? What characterizes them in this passage? Well, there is a lack of love in those who are perishing. They did not love the truth, we're told in verse 10. There's a lack of faith in those who are perishing. Verses 11 and 12, they did not believe the truth, but believed the lie. And there's a lack of obedience Verse 12 tells us that they took pleasure in unrighteousness. We see that God's judgment is just. But it comes on them for their lack of love and their lack of faith and their lack of obedience. And God allows them to be deceived to their own destruction. He brings to the natural end the process that we hear begun described in Romans 1, 21 to 25. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. God is bringing to a conclusion what had begun in them, the deception unto their own destruction, doing in this final day what he's done to his enemies in ages past. Pharaoh did not believe or obey God's word. He was hardened in his unbelief and perished. Ahab had no love for the truth, had no faith, had no obedience, 
He was deceived by a lying spirit and the voices of the false prophets unto his death. And this terrible truth is that the judgment awaits those who do not love the truth of Christ, who do not believe in his gospel, who do not obey his word. And we need to think about passages that talk about this. Why? Um, you know, we might sometimes think, why do we need to meditate on this? Do I really need this on a Sunday morning? I've had a tough week, Pastor. Can I hear some good news, not judgment and destruction? And our minds immediately go to friends and family members who this is true about, and our hearts are broken for them. Why do we need to hear about these things? So that if you're hearing this and you've been deceived, that you will flee to Christ while there is still time. Because this day has not yet come. It's a warning to us about the certain judgment that's coming. And it's a warning to all here who do not have faith, who do not have love, who do not obey. That this is the judgment that awaits those who will not come to the Lord while the day of salvation is open to you. We need to hear this because people who do not believe, who do not love, who do not obey, need to hear that they have no part in the coming kingdom of Christ and that nothing awaits them but a fearful expectation of judgment. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. Today is not that day yet. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when the Lord may be found where those who lack faith can put their faith and trust in Christ. Those who lack love can ask God for His Spirit, and He will change your disposition and make you a person who will love Him and love the truth, who will be remade in the image of Jesus Christ by His Spirit so that you will obey, so that you will follow, This is written for us so that wicked people who hear would flee to Christ and so that believers again would stand firm in Christ. So that we who do have faith and love and obey the Lord Jesus Christ will know in that evil day we must stand in Him. Um, That even if we see many leaving the church or many being led astray to follow after false and deadly teaching, that we stand firm in the Lord that we stand firm in His Word, that we trust in it, that we know that it's sure, that that which has been once for all delivered to the saints is to be relied on, whether that means life or death for us. Um, This is something that's worth clinging to you to, even if it costs you your life. Paul knew that. The apostles knew that. It cost them to say these things and to live them. It costs countless Christians throughout history to know these things and to live them. We are to stand firm in these things even if we have to die for following them. Because who would want to live following after the truth or following after the lie and facing that judgment to come? So we can say these things will certainly be. We cannot say when these things will be or if we will have to face these days of rebellion and lawlessness. But even if we simply are just facing the mystery of lawlessness that's going on in every age, we know how we have to face it. 
with a love for Christ's truth, with a faith in Christ's promise, and with grateful obedience to Christ's law of righteousness until he returns to save us. Those are our marching orders. Even as we pray, even so, amen, come Lord Jesus. May he come quickly. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we read many hard words in this passage and much that's difficult for us to understand, but we thank you that by your spirit we can understand the basic message of this text, that we will not miss the day of the Lord, that we should be prepared in our day for false teachers to arise, and that the way to combat any false teaching or philosophy is to cling clearly to your revealed word. We thank you for giving a word that is breathed out by your spirit, that's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training up in righteousness so that each one of us might be fully equipped. We pray that we would cling to your word and stand firm in it, uh, that even if an angel of light would come bringing us great signs and wonders in another gospel, we would still cling to the word that we have. And we thank you to know that when the pinnacle of evil and lawlessness arises in this world, then the Lord Jesus Christ will arise from his throne in heaven and come and save his people. Um, And how we are thankful for those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, to know that he's coming not to deal with our sins, but to save those who are waiting for him. So we pray that all here who hear the gospel might turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and live. That we who know him would be strengthened in him, that any here who don't know him might come to him while there is still time. We pray for our friends and neighbors, even members of our church that have been excommunicated in years past. We continue to lift them up to you. Our hearts break for them, Lord, and we we plead before your throne of grace that you would be merciful to them, that you would turn them back to yourself and that they would return to the shepherd and overseer of their souls. We know how little we can do to help them, Lord, but we know that what is hard for us is easy for you, that you can do even more than we ask or imagine and can think. And so we earnestly pray that you would help the perishing so that they would be saved. We pray that you would equip us to to be part of that great work by sharing the good news of the gospel of Christ. Hear us, Lord, and grant our prayers, we ask, not because we deserve that you should hear them, but because we pray in Jesus' name, amen.